Well, hello and welcome to Voice of the Parrot. I'm your host, Shasta Ray, and I am joined in the studio by Murray, the not-so-baby cockatiel. Oh my gosh, he is rapidly approaching a year old. He'll be a year next month, mid-March, and he's getting smart. It seems to me that cockatiels are kind of dumb when they're babies and when they're young and adolescent. And then they start growing a brain in there somewhere. They start catching on to stuff. You can't dupe them as easily. So he gets really angry when he knows I'm going to be putting him in the bird room. I have to put him in there when I need to cook and do things where he's he just can't be around. It's too much of a danger for him. So he gets really mad at me over that. Oh my gosh, he was flipping me attitude and trying to nip me and everything earlier. So anyway, he's down here with me and I... Got him some spray millet so he maybe won't eat my computer or mouse pad. Oh my gosh, he's crazy. Has anyone else had that problem with their cockatiels? He is a joy though. I would never do anything different. I would pick him all over again and he's just my little best friend. He is the best little bird ever and he likes that spray millet. Oh my goodness, so how is everybody? I had an adventure this weekend. And I'm not going to get into it too hardcore because I might be having the adventure on the podcast. I went to see a bird rescue and I got a complete tour. It was amazing. There is a very big and well-established bird rescue here in Colorado called the Gabriel Foundation. So I set up a tour, went and visited, and wow, oh my gosh, wow, you'll learn a ton on stuff like this. So if anyone out there is thinking about getting a great big huge bird, like a macaw, an Amazon, or a cockatoo, something like that, I encourage you find a bird rescue, find a bird shelter in your area and go visit it and take a look-see before you commit to a giant bird like this. Because so many of them end up in rescues and sanctuaries, and it's not necessarily due to abuse. Sometimes they just outlive their owners or they develop health problems that the owners can't afford and they surrender them for reasons regarding health. Or sometimes people just realize they jumped into something that they weren't even remotely prepared to deal with. And yeah, they had a phenomenal facility. I was so impressed with it. And I got to see some birds that are not adoptable because they're either on endangered lists or they may have had too advanced of health problems or behavior problems. So it was fascinating. It was enlightening. And oh, it was just an amazing, amazing time. I cannot stress enough that if you just don't have experience with birds like this, go check out a rescue. First off, you may qualify to get a little bit of education under your belt and adopt a bird in need. Very possible. At the very least, you'll probably decide if you really want to take this on or not. I think it's something that nobody should take lightly. I think it's a major, major, major decision. And above all else, one thing I've got to stress is how loud these big birds are when they decide to be loud. It is ear-splitting in some cases. So all things to consider, and you get a very real sense of how powerful these birds are. 
you get a real sense of the responsibility involved in caring for these big birds. Not that the little birds aren't just as much of a responsibility. I think anytime you take on a life of any sort, be it a dog, a cat, tiny little parakeet, a finch, or one of these real big parrots, I think it is a huge commitment and it is worth putting some time into thinking about it before you just rush into things and do this. So yeah, go find your local bird shelter and take a look-see, get a little education and see what they have that is adoptable before you bring a tiny little baby bird into the mix. If they have classes or any kind of behavior type education available, Sometimes that is the way to go to get yourself a little bit more knowledge before you make a decision like this and ask questions, see what all is involved. So I had a wonderful, wonderful day. I had to drive quite a ways to get there. It was about a two hour drive from where I live. And so it was a good chunk of my day. And I tell you what, Murray and the budgies were ready to be out of their cages when I got home. Murray would not leave my shoulder. He's on my shoulder right now. What are you doing, buddy? And he seems to know the difference between when I have him in his cage because I need to work and when I have him in his cage because I'm not in the house. So he calls to me differently and he behaves differently afterwards also. And that is his, he's always teaching me something. The budgies are always teaching me something. I am always learning in some capacity and every day is a new day. So here again, take bird ownership very, very seriously and take it seriously when people say, don't just feed them bird seed. Don't just feed them what the pet stores tell you to feed them. It probably won't be right. So he is eyeballing my mouse pad and my keyboard. So I got some sheets of paper. So if he wants to run around on that, he shouldn't be able to cause too much chaos. I cannot fathom what one of these great big birds would be like in a house as far as the destruction is concerned. Oh my goodness, they have huge, huge beaks. I think two of the most magnificent birds I saw that were just beyond what you can imagine. They are nothing like what you see on the internet. I mean, they look the same, of course, but when you see them up close and personal, it is just mesmerizing. And the first one I'd have to say was the hyacinth macaws. Now, it is not legal for them to rehome those, so they are permanent residents. And then they had a pair of golden conures, which I've always thought were really beautiful, but I've never seen them in person. They're another one on the endangered species list. And they are permanent residents there, and they had some crazy body language going on. One of them had some sort of behavior issue where it would really act the part of wanting to be pet and really wanting to have a person's attention, but her general thing is she lures you in so that she can bite you very hard. <laughs> so sometimes they apparently learn tricks, not just the golden conures, but there was a couple of them that would put out some body language, kind of like they were trying to get your attention, but that's not what they meant at all. So that was really fascinating to learn. And oh, wow, they were just stunning birds. But the sheer volume of just macaws, like the scarlet macaws and the green winged and blue and gold and all them that they had. There is so many in these sanctuaries and bird rescues, and they really do need very specialized care. 
this particular sanctuary or rescue has a very knowledgeable staff of, I think she said around 12 full-time employees just to keep this place running and a few part-timers and a good staff of volunteers also. I believe she said they had somewhere in the area of 240 birds at that rescue. So it was quite the impressive trip. And yeah, it sure made me think twice about ever working my way into a giant bird. I have small birds, and I'm really happy with the little guys. Not that I was ever considering getting a macaw or a Amazon or any of those types of birds. I think they're fascinating. I think they are stunningly beautiful, but I really don't think that they're for me. And my opinion is bigger is not necessarily better. I think you need to work into your knowledge on birds like this and really learn all you can about them. And then you have to make sure that you're keeping them mentally stimulated and fed properly. Some of them have very specific diets, too, depending on where they're from and where they originate, all that good stuff. But yeah, it was a really good time. And hopefully I'll be able to have the Gabriel Foundation on and we'll address some stuff that's probably common as to what they see or common questions that they get. But that's what you can hopefully look forward to. It might be a little bit. We're going to have to schedule some time to do that recording. So anyway, look forward to that. And thank you so much to the Gabriel Foundation for that amazing tour. And wow, just wow factor. It was crazy. What else do we got? Oh, the big news. Yes, the big news as far as Voice of the Parrot goes. Voiceoftheparrot.shop is up and operational I have all of the team shirts listed so you can be part of Team Zoltan or Team Aggie or Team Murray, whoever you like best out of my flock. And I also created a sticker sheet out of some of my favorite graphics. So if you want something small and you don't want a t-shirt, that's up for grabs too. And I'm not going to be doing the stickers on Etsy, at least not right away. I'll have to recreate them because I'm using a couple different production companies. But the voiceoftheparrot.shop That's where, if you're in another part of the world, you might be able to buy from there. They will sell to many, many, many different countries, and the prices are a little bit lower. So I have a compare-to price with my Etsy prices. Etsy is just the United States and Canada sales for the time being. I don't know if I'm going to change that, but there's some funky stuff with selling to other countries and returns and policies and stuff. So I have chosen to keep Etsy at United States primarily and Canada for t-shirts. So depending on where you're at is where you can go check that out. If you want to check out the Etsy shop, that is voiceoftheparrot.etsy.com. Don't forget to use promo code PARROT20, that's P-A-R-R-O-T-2-0, and that will give you 20% off your entire order. All orders over $35 get free shipping. Now with the dot shop, you're going to have to pay shipping. That's part of the supporter thing. That's going to be my podcast support website. So go check that out. Lots of fun, lots of fun. What I'm discovering, and this is just a me thing. I don't know if this applies to everyone out there because I'm learning all this for the first time in my life, all the graphic work. You have to have really good mock-up photos that demonstrate the product. And if you don't have good mock-up photos on Etsy, you won't even get looked at. So I've been learning all that. And once I have all of my graphics 
for Etsy, then I can just duplicate them over on the other website. So it's been quite the fun little experience teaching myself something new and learning. And oh my goodness, it is just, it's a good time. It's just very slow going. I'm finding that just to get certain products up, made, and the mock-ups generated properly can take quite a bit of time just to get a handful of products up. So it is very slow going. I have not found a good workaround for that. Some of it's just how my computer works at the internet too. So Next, I am starting an adventure on learning better parrot diet, and that would be for my little budgies and the cockatiel little guys, but the diet applies to everybody, and you really should do your homework ongoing. There is always new stuff being discovered. In the grand scheme of things, we have only really been captive breeding parrots, like I think it's been less than a hundred years. Parrots that were kept for pets before that were pretty much just captured in the wild and exploited, more or less. So we're still learning, really, as human beings go about these birds. And I think new things are being discovered fairly often. We probably have a pretty good grip on it by now. But as a pet owner, you should always be exploring this and always finding new things that work. I have been dabbling a little bit in freeze-dried food for my birds and freeze-dried sprouts as well as how to grow some of my own veggies for them indoors. I started the growing a little bit after I got Zoltan. I thought, well, I'm going to get like an arrow garden or something and grow my own herbs for him. And I didn't get the actual brand name arrow garden. I got a smaller one that I thought would be really good for basil and cilantro and things of that nature. And it was. But I ended up going through two of them because they just would burn out that fast. So I got really fed up with it. I've done sprouts and I've done my own wheatgrass for them. I mixed some of it into their chop. But now I am experimenting with microgreens. And the difference between microgreens and sprouts is that sprouts, you pretty much sprout the seeds and then feed it to the birds. Or they may be very small and you know, just a few days into their growth. But microgreens is when you grow the plant up to about six inches before you cut it and eat it. And it's good for humans. It's good for your birds. So what I'm trying to do for my life is get microgreens going so that I can throw them in my own salads. I can throw them in my own concoctions, whatever I'm eating them on, sandwiches, hamburgers, whatnot and kind of up my own nutrition easily because, oh my goodness, even with a tiny little flock of budgies and a cockatiel, it gets expensive to buy veggies all the time, right? Sometimes you don't use them up. Some of it goes to waste. Sometimes it's just a pain. So I'm trying to find alternative ways of feeding them super duper healthy so that they have options and they will try different things and are used to different things. I also feed my birds two different brands of pellets. Now, after doing quite a lot of research, I have chosen Harrison's and Tops. And the reason I use two different pellets is because, first off, they're different and they're made differently. The Harrison's I really, really like because it is top-notch nutrition it is very, very good. It is very, very researched. They've been in business for decades, and they have a super fine 
pellet. And that means that it is really, really, really little for the really, really, really little birds. The pellets are about the size of a piece of millet. So you can just kind of start getting them used to eating it by mixing it in with some millet if they're on an all-seed diet. And they convert over to it pretty darn quick and they seem to really like it. Now the tops I really like because it is a cold pressed pellet and it breaks apart really easy. It's just kind of like dried compressed ingredients. Both of these two pellets are full nutrition all the way around and they have a different appearance and a different flavor. Murray really, really, really likes the tops. He will eat them very easily. The budgies were a little bit more it took to convince, and I've been working with them for, I don't know, I think a couple months now, and they're starting to embrace them and start to like them. They haven't quite figured out how to break the pellets apart. They'll eat them if I kind of crush them a little bit first. So I don't really powder them, but I do crush them a little bit so that they break apart easier for their little beaks. And they're starting to really embrace it. Not all of the budgies, but most of them. They're starting to get some interest in it. So with that said, I mix all of this together and then I put some freeze-dried food in there and freeze-dried pellets. And then I found a really good flour, like an edible flour mixture that I put some of that in there. So they get a really, really good variety. They get their chop, they get some fresh veggies, and then I've been reducing the amount of seeds they get to, oh, I try to keep it around 15% of their diet. Some people say 10% is better, but I've been backing off on the seed feeding. That way they're not getting those super high fats. I've also found, what's the name of it? Bird Street Bistro, and it is a bird food that you cook the one that they like is primarily quinoa and oats, and it has some fruit in it. It's the tropical flavor. So I give them a little bit of that, and that has a much lower fat content also. So I mix their chop in with that and steam it in the microwave. So they get some steamed veggies. Now I let it cool off completely before I feed it to them, but that way there's veggies mixed in with that. And then they get raw, fresh chop during the day too. So they get a heck of a good variety. And don't kid yourself. One thing I've noticed with diet conversion, especially being on different Facebook groups, people will try for maybe about a week and say, oh, well, my bird doesn't really like it, so I'll just go back to seed. Don't do that. Just keep at it. Keep your patience up and be persistent. Sometimes it's going to take a while. They have pre-programming in their little birdie minds to gravitate towards seeds because in the wild, that's what they eat is primarily seeds. They're flying a lot. So they're not getting the same amount of exercise in your home. Even if they're flapping around a room a lot, they are not flying miles and miles and miles a day like they would in the wild, so they're not burning off the calories the same. So it's very essential to get them on veggies, and they don't really need a lot of fruit. There are some parrot species like the lorikeets, and I think the eclectus need a little bit higher fruit content in their diet. So that's where it's essential to make sure that the species of bird you're keeping, you're feeding it properly for its needs. It's very easy for us to categorize them all the same and try to feed them the same, but we really shouldn't do that. Even the cockatiels, they can eat different types of seed that the parakeets and the budgies can't because their beaks are stronger and they can crack them easier. So Murray gets some different types of seed than the budgies even do. And Murray does eat some of his veggies, but man, 
man, he's probably been the worst one to diet convert onto any kind of veggies. He is so finicky. So with him, I feed him a lot of the freeze-dried and the tops, and then he gets his greens that way. And he's starting to eat chop and stuff a little bit better, but man, it gets difficult because here again, he's starting to get very opinionated. He's getting a little bit older. He's getting a little bit smarter. And if I try to just leave him in the bird room, so that he's kind of forced to eat the stuff that's out. He just won't eat until he's hungry enough to eat. So I have to be a little creative with him. But he's doing pretty good. And he's happiest when he can hang out with me. He's doing really good tonight. He's not destroying anything. I'm pretty happy with him. He's just sitting on my shoulder. So that's all I got for you this week. I just wanted to touch base, let you know that I had the most amazing weekend and yeah, I really encourage anybody out there to go visit your local bird rescues. Even if you have to drive a little ways, make a day trip out of it, plan your time, have lunch on the way, whatever, and see what it's like to see some birds that have been surrendered and ask the reasons that they're commonly surrendered. Especially if it's a species of bird that you're thinking about getting, it is absolutely worth it so you get a realistic idea of what it is that is getting these birds into the shelter. What's the common denominator? I think people would be really surprised to find out that what you see on the internet and YouTube is not accurate as far as what these birds are like. So really, I do encourage everybody out there, go check out your local shelters, go check out your lo local bird sanctuaries. If you're going to be adopting a bird for the first time, it is so worth it to get yourself a little bit of truth under your belt on this. And don't just rely on Facebook or YouTube or social media or even articles. The one thing that was really interesting and I thought very fun to ask about different types of birds when I was taking this tour are some of the things that I have commonly seen online. And I tell you what, talking to somebody with real life experience and not just a bird owner, I'm talking about people that work at a rescue that have education in these types of animals and asking questions of someone highly knowledgeable. The answers are not <laughs> anything like what you read in articles or you see online. Everything online is very generalized and kind of generic. And there is so much bad information or generalized information. You have to be very careful with the articles that you read these days because a lot of these bloggers and article people are generating them from AI and ChatGPT. And then they're just kind of doing some small edits and relying on that to be a hundred percent accurate and it just isn't you need to get real life experience and real life knowledge if you're gonna engage in huge birds and even the little ones there is so much bad information out there i need to encourage everyone if you're in groups that's great but please don't take facebook groups as the best form of information because what tends to happen is you're going to either pick out the information that resonates with you and run with that or you're going to end up believing advice that somebody gives you and you don't even know if it's remotely accurate or not. 
keep in mind that just because somebody has kept a certain type of bird for 20 years or 30 years doesn't mean that they were doing it right. It may mean that they were going off of really bad information that they received when they got their first bird. You never know. So it's always worth it to keep educating yourself and keep learning. We owe it to our animals to do that. It gives them their best lives possible. What do you think, Murray? You want to get this edited and go upstairs and play? Yeah, he wants to go play. All right, I guess that's all I got for you this week. Go check out the Etsy store, especially if you're looking for a phone case. I'm also starting to add more animal themes than just birds. So I've got some cat stuff. I've got some dog stuff on the way. I've got one phone case with koi fish on it. And I've got some stuff with just interesting patterns that I came up with. So it's a lot of fun. Go check it out. Support the podcast. And I'm going to catch you next week. Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye.